You could take your Bibles if you want and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we're not in 522 today. We're in 523. A column appeared in the Atlantic a little over a year ago, in July of 2022, written by uh, a columnist that I happen to appreciate. His name is David Brooks. And uh, the column was entitled, kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's a, it's a column of satire. It was entitled this, Truly Humbled to be the Author of This Article. Subtitle, How to Flaunt Your Modesty Online in Three Easy Steps. In a very creative and, as you'll see in a minute, sarcastic and satirical way, David Brooks calls out what some of us have seen and so what some of us call the humble brag. And and he gives three steps to uh, flaunt one's own modesty. Let me summarize those steps. Step one. Never post online, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Snapchat, Twitter, which is now X. Never post about any event that could actually lead to humility. For instance, never tweet, I went to an event last night and nobody noticed me. Or never tweet, I'm humbled that I got fired for incompetence. He says, the whole point of humility display is to signal that you are humbled by your own magnificent accomplishments. We can all be humbled by an awesome mountain or by the infinitude of a starry sky, he writes. But to be humbled by being in the presence of yourself, that's a sign of great humility. Step two. You must always use the word humbled when the word proud would actually be more accurate. The key to humility display is to use self-effacement as a tool to maximize your self-promotion. Now, he had some examples, but I came up with some of my own. For instance, maybe I could post someday, humbled to have been invited by Patrick Mahomes to watch the game in his personal skybox this week. Or humbled to have my most recent sermon series featured prominently at SermonCentral.com. God is good. Or what about this? Humbled to have been invited by Coach Freeman to give the chapel speak, be the chapel speaker for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and then get to be on the sideline during the game. Totally humbled. Step three. You must never use a pronoun. If you're truly an important person, you don't have time for pronouns in your tweets, your emails, or your text. You will want to truncate all your communications. As we've done, you want to start, start them with humbled to be or honored to be. But when you don't use your pronoun, you send a message. You have send a message that you are just too important to use your pronouns because you only have a few seconds to dash off that post or that tweet because you've got Melinda French Gates or Jeff Bezos online waiting on hold for you. He finishes with this line. It's easy to be humble when you're most people. But just think about how amazing it is to be humble 
when you are as impressive as you. Humility is the new pride. It just seems fallen nature, doesn't it? That we could take a, a positive character trait like humility, which is really something that we should be drawn to, and twist it into a way for self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. The specific characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that we will examine this morning is going to give all of us pause to think. So we are going to once again, in just a second, read our passage together. And we're going to focus on this eighth characteristic. Now today, we're going to be reading from a translation called the Complete Jewish Bible. It was translated by the late Dr. David H. Stern. He was a Messianic Jew, which means that he was a a Jew who followed Jesus, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But he wanted to produce a translation of Scripture that maintains the Jewish context and culture of the Bible and yet is translated in such a way that the modern reader could easily read it. So join with me in reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 from the complete Jewish Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things. Now most of you, if you have your Bibles open, will look at that and go, well, I thought it was gentleness. And if you you have some translations, it might say meekness, but it says humility here. Um, why is that the case? Well, if you looked up the word that's translated gentleness and you looked at the various definitions from the, the original word, you would find these definitions, meekness, modesty, mildness, humility, gentleness. And so what I want to submit to you this morning, and the phrase that we'll use this morning, is gentle humility. We're going to be talking about gentle humility. I've been making a habit of trying to summarize my sermons in a sentence, and sometimes I can come up with one, but this week I ran across uh, a quote by the late Dr. Tim Tim Keller. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and in in that book he, he, he gives a definition of humility that I think is just spot on. Keller says this, The essence, wait for it, there it is. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Do you get that? Let's go over that. Let me go over that again. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself. That's the humble brag, right? Honored to be whatever. And it's not thinking less of myself. Oh, I'm just a slug. I'm nothing. It's thinking of myself less. The reality is this. And if you were to, the first thing I want you to hold on to, gentle humility is God-centered. Gentle humility is God-centered. 
Monica Baldwin was a British writer the last century. She wrote this once. What makes humility so desirable is the marvelous thing it does to us. It creates in us a capacity for the closest possible intimacy with God. You see, when I think of myself less, I replace thinking of myself with thinking of God. And so what humility does is it moves me out of the spotlight and it helps me put God in the spotlight. And as she says, it gives me the possibility for the closest possible intimacy with God because it's not about me. The prophet Zephaniah was warning the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem of impending judgment. And he calls for them to turn to God. And in Zephaniah chapter 2, in the first two verses of that little chapter, he not only warns them of the judgment, but he says, there's a way. There's a way that you might be able to forestall the judgment. Look at what Zephaniah says in Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. You humble of the land. See, if you're not humble, we'll talk about this in a minute, you don't seek God. If you're not humble, you really don't care what God thinks. He says, seek righteousness, seek humility, seek gentle, gentle humility. And maybe if you do that, maybe God will slow down the judgment. Only those who have a deep sense of the reality that they are nothing in and of themselves without God truly seek Him. That's humility. When I start to think that I can make my life work without God, then I don't fully seek Him. I don't need Him. I got this. How how often do... That is one of those little catchphrases, right? I got this. And, and, and how often do we sometimes say, I got this, God. You can take a break. I got this. Oh, no, I would never say that. Oh, maybe not in our words, but in our mindset. It's sometimes, I got this. And, 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 and I don't seek God when I got this. When we think we can make our life work without God and not fully seek Him, you know what's funny? When we run into trouble, when we run into difficulties, when we run into errors, we wonder, where's God? Where was God when I, you know, and, and yet when we seek him, when we humble ourselves, we find him there every step of the way. In sometimes the smallest and most undescribable ways. Again, we have the greatest capacity for intimacy with God when we are humble. Gentle humility is God-centered. The contrasting reality is arrogance and pride that is not kind of, it's sometimes not a bold arrogance, it's just a subtle arrogance, but it's still there. And the reality is God says himself, arrogance and pride separate us from him. God says when we're self-centered and not God-centered, he stands against us. Look at this stark reminder from the pen of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. 
What's he say? All of you. Here's our phrase again, clothe yourselves. Both Peter and Paul say that. You know, it's, it's kind of that reminder. This is, the, this is your spiritual wardrobe. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's not just humility toward God. Humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God knows what we're going through. God knows what we struggle with. God knows when we're hurting. And God says, you humble yourself under my hand. I will raise you up at the perfect time. But we need to be clothed with gentle humility. God opposes the proud. The opposite of gentle humility is unbridled anger, harshness, brutality, and arrogance. When you and I turn inward, when we become self-centered, when we are, in a sense, opposed to being God-centered, then we do have to work really hard to make our world work for us. So when things don't go our way, we find ourselves angry. Now, we've often said to folks as we've worked with anger. I've looked at my own life in anger. My anger is not a core emotion. Anger is a response. Anger is a response to being hurt. Anger is a response to fear. Anger is response to a blocked goal. And I would dare say that third one is probably what a lot of us struggle with the most. I want to go from point A to B and you're not going to let me. I've told you back last Christmas the story of my little sister my, the best dog on the planet ever in the history of human beings was Brownie. Brownie, the part shepherd, part collie dog that was my dog. And uh, one day my sister wanted to go. My sister, very young, a toddler. My mom had told her, stay on the breezeway. Don't go into the driveway. We had a busy road in front of our house. My little sister starts going down the road. And Brownie darts out and stands in front of her. And she moves one way to the other, he stands in front of her. She hits him, she kicks him, she pulls his hair. He doesn't move. She got angry because her goal was blocked. That's sometimes us. We get angry. Or people don't cooperate with our agenda. We can get harsh with them. We can get verbally brutal to try to make them come around. That's what arrogance does. But gentle humility is God-centered. It's dependent upon God. It's a characteristic that reflects faith in God. And as a result, we will discover something else about gentle humility. A second characteristic of gentle humility is simply this. Gentle humility is captivating. Gentle humility is captivating. I was exploring this word and this whole term, and I ran across this description. Gentleness, or gentle humility, describes the person who is so much in control of themselves that they are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Now think about that balance for a minute. You know what? There are times to get angry. And that person who's gentle, who has gentle humility, according to this description, is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And crazy enough, that is a quote that is attributed to the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. 
it captures for me the idea of a captivating consistency. Gentle humility is captivating in several ways, and it's reflected in several places in Scripture. We have been here before, but we're going to go back again. A few weeks ago, we looked at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, and we looked at specifically at the term kindness in there. But we want to go back to that invitation of Jesus and look at the word humble and gentle. So Matthew 28, 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think that is one of the most tender, gentle, warm invitations. Because I don't know anyone who at one time or another or maybe in feeling consistently is weary and burdened. Life wears us out. Jesus said, come on, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble. Gentle humility. In heart, that's his character. That's his person. Now remember the contrast for a minute. The contrast was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were harsh. They were oppressive. They were, they, they, their, their rules were their rules, and those were the only rules, and if you didn't do them, you were awful. They were, they, you know, I, I've not seen, I've seen maybe two episodes, so don't ask me about episode three, but I, I was interested when I saw a couple episodes of The Chosen that when the Pharisees walk by, people stop and they bow. That's not who Jesus wants to be. He says, I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your soul, for the depth of your being, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am captivated by that invitation. I am drawn to that invitation. I hope you are too. That's who Jesus is. That's the captivating nature of gentle humility. When, when a people is burdened down by rules and regulations, what a, what a captivating invitation. We, not, we may not be burdened down by rules and regulations, but we are burdened down by being rushed and hurried and anxious. You know, they, they, they start listing the things of the major diseases right now, and they're all stress-related for the most part. You know, that's just our world. Uh, I love in Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of that, he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think earlier on he talks about what Jesus says, learn from me, and Peterson says, enter the school of Jesus. And I like that. I realize when I say school, for some of us, that causes a cold chill to go down our spine. But we shouldn't look at school of Jesus the same way we look at school here. For the fact of the matter is, the school of Jesus is not based at all on grades or performance. The school of Jesus is not based on your performance. It is the school of acceptance and relationship. And it's there we find to keep company with Jesus and to live freely and lightly. The gentle humility reflected in the person of Jesus invites you and me to a life that's free from the things that cause worry and anxiety. And that is a captivating reality because gentle humility is captivating. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul describes 
the, a life that's worthy of our calling to follow Jesus. And notice it's characterized by being humble and gentle and patient. Look at it right here. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah, that means to put up with one another. Sometimes good and godly Christ-following people can be annoying. But in gentle humility, we learn to put up with them. And we learn to see, and maybe if they're annoying and it's not their normal annoyance, then it's maybe something's going on that we need to just be aware of and pray about. Put up with one another. Be humble with one another. We just read it, but let's look at it again for reinforcement. Colossians chapter 3, we'll just focus on verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people... There's this dichotomy that I can't fully explain. I've used it before. Henry Ironside talked about salvation is like walking through a door, and above the door on the lentil it says, whosoever will may come. And you walk through that door thinking you made the choice, and you get through and you look back on the other side and you see the door and it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. Somehow, some way, God's people are chosen by him. I don't know how it works there have been books and papers and treatises written, and they still haven't figured it all out, but somehow we're chosen, we're holy, we're set apart, we're special to God, we're loved. And so as a result of that, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Gentle humility should be part of our spiritual wardrobe. And when that's the case, it will be seen by others. It won't be seen as some kind of a spiritual fashion emergency, but as a spiritual fashion accessory that works with the whole ensemble of who God's made you to be. You see, we interact with a culture. We interact in our communities that are not necessarily pursuing God. And yet, that's where God has placed us. God's placed us, whether it be in our workplace or in our neighborhood or in the community we live, God's placed us in situations where we do interact with people that aren't always the nicest, aren't always the kindest, actually don't really care about the things of God. And it was the same in the first century. Peter was writing to people. We're going back to Peter again, this time 1 Peter 3. He was writing to people who lived in a culture that was against them. The Roman culture did not really like the whole way of Christ. It, it went against uh, emperor worship. It went against the whole peace of Rome. But look what Peter says here. He says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Stop right there. We are not to be the people of fear. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot of stuff going on in our world that is not good stuff. I don't think as a Christian, personally, I should say it's scary out there. If I believe that God is sovereign, then it's not scary out there. I can have hope. I have hope in a God that is at work. 
And when I have that hope, it's going to cause people that don't have that hope to go, how, how do you do that? And Peter says, be ready to give an answer. But here, do this with gentleness, gentle humility and respect. There is a way we can tell people how we follow Jesus and do it in a way that makes them feel like they are awful. But there's a way that we can do it that just says, you know, I have a faith in God through Jesus Christ, and I'm just clinging to him. Gentleness, respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We interact with our culture in gentle humility. Several years ago, Ed Stetzer published a book entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. One of his chapters is entitled Winsome Love, and uh, he captures this contrast between loving, gentle humility and arrogance. Stetzer writes this, Christians contribute to the outrage around us when we behave badly rather than lovingly communicate the good news of the gospel message. For instance, some Christians post Bible verses professing the love of Christ only to follow that with a hostile, if not derogatory, insult against some political, cultural, or religious figure. When claims to being joy-filled are mixed with disparaging comments, it strikes onlookers as oddly disjointed. When we claim to be filled with joy and the love of Christ, and yet we enter into the same rhetoric, the same angry, vicious rhetoric as someone else, someone goes, so what makes you any different? When we consistently and gently are humble, there's a captivating reality. The opposite is, a, is repulsive to our culture, to the world around us, and it's a culture that already holds Christ's followers at arm's length. There's a third thing about gentle humility. Gentle humility is compassionate. When we interact with others, it should be from a heart and spirit of compassion. Several weeks ago, I mentioned to you the island of Crete and how that Paul wrote to Titus on the island of Crete. And uh, the island of Crete was known as a very harsh place. It was known as a very immoral place. And yet it was right there in the middle of that place that God planted a church and Titus went to help out. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, Paul describes the inhabitants of that island nation. And, and it's far less than complimentary. He writes in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And you know how he finishes that sentence? He says, this saying is true. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you, Paul, ease up. Crete was not a good place to be. How do you reflect Jesus in such a place? 
Well, Paul gives Titus and therefore us a very simple formula to follow. It's in Titus 3, 1 and 2. It says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. In other words, always show gentle humility. Gentle humility toward everyone, even liars, brutes, and lazy gluttons. What a, what a balanced compassion that's needed for all of us in our dealing with others. And you know, one of the ways that might help some of us just kind of put things into perspective is that old proverb that just simply says this, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, the moment I start to judge someone, the moment I start to, I have to back up, and I don't always back up right away. It might take me a while to back up and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There, but the, for the grace of God, that could be me. No, you made different choices. Yeah, I made different choices because of the grace of God. I made different decisions because of the grace of God. And someone didn't make those same decisions. But what is my role? It's not to simply pound on them. In fact, Paul follows this whole description of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in what we call Galatians 6. Remember, the, the original book of Galatians or letter to the Galatians had no chapter headings, no verse markings, and actually no punctuation. And, and so in Galatians, what we call Galatians 6 and verse 1, we have this great reminder of how we should respond to others. It says this, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore Store that person gently or with gentle humility, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. We, the, the word restore here, it's a word that was used in the medical community. It, it's, it's the word used to set a broken bone. Later on, I think that word even goes, being used to cauterize a wound, to, to stop the flow of bleeding. Restore them. Restore them how? Gently, with gentle humility. To be the one that says, you shouldn't have done that. That's not gentle humility. To come alongside and say, you know what? You messed up. Let's walk together. Okay. Just popped into my... It's, it's a, years ago, we had the transition team or transition program from Community School District 200 right here at Pleasant Hill Community Church. Five days a week, there was a great staff here. There was these special needs students, and, and they had finished high school, but they were transitioning into the adult world. And, and we had the privilege of having them here every day for about five years. They would invite me to come to their uh, Thanksgiving uh, dinner. And it was fun to be there and uh, be in the gym and, you know, eat some food and talk to the staff. And, and then they, the kids would get around and they would just talk about, you know, ways that they were thankful or, and, and all. And, and uh, one of the kids came up with this. It's it, it just that idea of like being right there with a friend in a very awkward way. He said, you know, here's the definition of a friend. A friend visits you when you're in jail. He said, but a true friend 
looks at you as he's sitting next to you in jail and says, we really messed up. (laughs) I'm not saying go to jail with your friends. But do we empathize? And do we care? Do we walk alongside? You should restore that person gently. When someone's caught, trapped in a sin, we're gently humble. We walk with them. We walk alongside them. We work to restore. We do it quietly. We do it lovingly. We do it in humility, knowing we can be tempted. How can we be tempted? I think there's two ways you can be tempted. The, the one that I think is most prominent is be tempted to be proud that that's not you. <laughs> I'd never do that, but here, I'll help you out. Or you could get drawn into the same thing. But the reality is we're to be gently humble. We're to be compassionate as we help another in their own struggle. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. How do we do that? Let's leave that phrase up there so we can see it, and let me give you three very quick ways of how to do that. There it is. Admit. Just admit. C.S. Lewis said this. If anyone would want to acquire humility, I can think I can tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and that's a biggish step, too. Just admit. Admit to God, God, I know I'm prone to pride. It's it's our nature. It's our fallen nature. Admit it. Admit it when you are proud. Admit it when you haven't shown gentle humility. Admit it. Depend is the second word. I think the thing to always bear in mind, I think that's the point for this quote behind me, is that this kind of gentle humility, this kind of meekness that Paul's expressing, it's not something you can will into existence. You can't just try harder. In fact, if I will myself to be humble, uh, you know, and and work at it, then isn't that a, a form of pride? I am more humble today than I was yesterday. I might post that this week on Facebook. Uh, Humble to be more humble today than I was yesterday. That's kind of like that, that kind of willing it to be done and thinking, I can do it myself. It's like the four-year-old who grabs a gallon of milk and is going to, it's a full gallon, and they're going to pour their own milk, right? And you say, whoa, 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 I can do it by myself. How many times, parents, have we heard that? And they put the, 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 the gallon jug right on the rim of the glass, and next thing you know, boom, and it all goes over. And that's the foolishness of thinking, I can make myself humble. I cannot make myself humble but I can grow in my dependency on God, understanding and fully accepting His work in my life and reflecting the fact that in and of myself, I need Him. I am dependent on Him. Admit, depend, enter. You and I come to Jesus and we enter the school of Jesus every day. Daily, if you pray nothing else, ask God to teach you what it means to depend on him more fully today. You say, well, Pastor Scott, that's all great, but how do I know? How do I know? If I'm not supposed to admit that I'm humble, how do I know? 
Well, it will be subtle. I think sometimes you're going to be surprised at the times when you think you should have gotten angry, but you didn't. I think we're going to find that we're really more concerned and truly concerned that God is honored and not us. I think we'll find a balance as we know who we are in Christ and learn there's a freedom to not think of myself as much, to think of myself less. And I think just the moment you think you have a handle on it, just the moment you think that maybe you can now post, humble to know that I'm more humble today than tomorrow, just the moment you think you could probably get by with that, that's when you need to probably again confess your sin of pride and re-enter the school of Jesus for a daily refresher on gentle humility. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. And that kind of humility, that kind of gentle humility is God-centered, and it's captivating, and it's compassionate. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle humility. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for thank you for not being easy on us, but for really pulling back the pulling back the curtain so to speak and helping us look at the raw reality of our hearts. I pray Lord today that each of us would Look in the mirror. Not look at someone next to us or around the corner or that person at work that really needed to hear this. I wish they were here. Nope, you had us here today. Help us to look in the mirror and say, Father, teach me the way of humility. Teach me to be like Jesus. And in that, you will be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.